Seminary gives you the tools. It's kind of like basic training. I think that's a good parallel. It gives you skills that you will need for the rest of your life to prepare to teach and preach to others and to yourself. And to even, I mean, my theology helped me come to grips with all these things. And ultimately, by God's grace, the theology, what I believe pulled me out of that sort of quagmire that I'd fallen into and convinced me, no, I am called to ministry. But seminary just simply can't prepare you uh, 100%. It doesn't make you a pastor. I mean, God makes you a pastor and in the, in the foxhole of local church ministry. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Jeff Robinson. Jeff works as a senior editor for the Gospel Coalition and serves as the lead pastor of Christ Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He also teaches as an adjunct professor of church history at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and has contributed to a number of books, including Faithful Endurance, The Joy of Shepherding People for a Lifetime from Crossway. Today, Jeff and I discuss the unique blessings and burdens of pastoral ministry. He reflects on the challenging seasons of ministry from his own life, seasons when he contemplated leaving the pastorate altogether. He highlights the importance of transparency and accountability in the life of a pastor, and he offers encouragement for the pastor who feels overwhelmed and exhausted right now. Let's get started. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining us on the CrossFit Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about pastoral ministry, about what it looks like to faithfully endure in ministry uh, over the long haul. And so obviously I think pastors who are listening to us today should be interested in this topic. But before we really jump in, I want you to speak to the lay people who might be listening right now. Why should they care about this issue? Well, that's a great question. I would hope they would care because they want to know how to, uh, how to treat their pastors, how to pray for their pastors, how to, I mean, the pastors are shepherds. <clears throat> but the pastor is... He's a man in the middle of his sanctification, just like the, the sheep. And so there's a sense in which he needs shepherding as well. I mean, I, I need, there's lots of things I need. And so I'm, I, I would love, I mean, if, if I could address my congregation, I want them to listen to this and, and learn and not hear me complaining that this is difficult and you see how hard this is. Not, not that so much, but to see that this is very unique and I'm just a man. And so I really need their prayers. I need their support as much as they can give it to me. And I need encouragement sometimes. And I have a, I'm very grateful my congregation gives me this. But I know, and I've been in ministry situations where that was by no means the case. And in fact, I would, I mean, I don't have any hard science to back this up or numbers, but just anecdotally, I think that that's almost never the case. Mm. Um, just uh, most of my my friends now are pastors, <laughs> and they don't, you know, uh, they remind me of how good I've got it now, and they're right, but they just don't get a lot of, they may have somebody who drives past the church uh, if they have a building and uh, see their car not there at five o'clock or something and complain about it. They're, they're more prone to hear that than they are, mm. you know, pastor, we love you, we know, you're, we know that uh, you're trying to be a, a shepherd to us and to your family and lots of other things, and we're praying for you. If we can uh, encourage you in any way, please let us know. Just something like that. So I would hope that would be the takeaway for, uh, for lay people, for sure. Yeah, I think it can be easy for lay people to maybe look at pastoral ministry and see the schedule, frankly, the, the schedule and the flexibility that they might yes. have and kind so, of think, well, you know, you take Mondays off and, you know, you can go for a jog in the middle of the day. I'm at work 
punching the clock. That's right. Um, how can it be really be that difficult or challenging? But there's more to it than just a schedule, although most pastors are working a full 40, 50, 60 hours a week, maybe just not in the same timetable as, uh, as other people. Yeah, it's not nine to five. Uh, I once um, worked with an elder who really, he'd been in the military, fine man, but he really expected office hours. Like, I mean, which is fine, but I mean, that was sort of the sum total. It was nine to five. And, and, and I realized pretty quickly, this is not nine to five job. You're, you're, you're like a firefighter. You're like a paramedic, a, a doctor. You don't call. I mean, I won't call right now. We're recording this. I mean, if I have a member, an example yesterday, I had a member broke his back. And I'm on my way to the, the uh, TGC meeting, and I'm on the phone with him and talking to him. I was late for some things because I'm his pastor, and he needed me to pray with him. He was fright- He was kind of scared about some things that were happening. His wife called me. And so you're always, but, but no one sees that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're not ostentatious. We don't want anyone to see that. But still, you know, I don't think they realize you know, what, how... Uh, sort of all-consuming the pastoral ministry is it done done the right way, and you're right. They think, well, no, you know, he's got all this flexibility. He can go to his son's ball games, or he can go to, you know, he can go to, you know, up to Cincinnati. I live in Louisville and go up to Cincinnati and see a, a Reds game or take his kids to the museum. But I mean, and that's true, and that is one of the wonderful things about the ministry. But it's it's balanced out by by lots of other stuff uh, that. Uh, you know, and you're almost like a, a a trauma doctor in some sense. You, uh, you may go into a situation that is um, difficult. I mean, you, I remember uh, a few years ago in a previous ministry, when uh, when a teenager in a, in a terrible car wreck and uh, you know near death, and I mean. You, you can go from being at the golf course, <laughs> you know, enjoying yourself to yeah. that in just a matter of minutes. And that's not easy. Yeah, not at all. And just to kind of get yourself sort of revved up for that. And uh, uh, that, that's difficult. And there's an emotional toll that that must take um, that most of us, again, we, we have very difficult, painful situations in all of our lives. But often that's related to close friends or close family members. But pastors are having to bear a lot of those burdens, whether it's death or infidelity, some kind of sin, injury, that kind of thing, uh, for they have to walk that road with a lot of people. And, and that's, that's a, that takes a toll that I think most of us can't quite comprehend. That, that's definitely true. I mean, counseling is a good example. I mean, people get themselves, we live in a, in a as we know, uh, we live in a fallen world. And there's almost no end to the variety of things of, of depravity that people find uh, their way into in situations and people affected in families and I mean, children and wives and husbands and in-laws and, and all the rest who are affected by that. And you're expected to come to the end of that situation and give some wisdom and guidance and just be uh, a strong presence uh, to represent the Lord there. And that's, that's, uh, that can take a toll. I mean, just example, let's say you counsel three days in a week and you counsel really acute, difficult situations. That's emotionally taxing because if you're compassionate and you love them, you take it home with you. I mean, you, you can't just, I could never just turn it off. Like, okay, I get in the car and now that's in the office. Like, you know, you can if you're a, a teacher or when I do, you take things home as a teacher. But, you know, you're, you're done to the class. Yeah. You're gone. You're on your way home and you're done with that. For that. It's really not like that. I mean, you'll take it home. You'll take their problems with you. They're not your problems, but you're, you know, you're, you're, you're mulling it over in your mind. And, and a lot that can, that can kind of... Um, 
it can kind of pile up or kind of snowball and, you know, you can find yourself anxious and <laughs> even depressed and lots of other things because you've kind of entered into their situation. And, and uh, I've, I've found that to be the case of myself and I've had to counsel. This past week I had about I had two or three somewhat acute things happened in my church and it was unusual and, and it made it a much more difficult week because I really entered into their, their lives and I wanted uh, a good outcome for them. Of course, you know, we can't always affect that. That's God's business, but uh, really want to see these things reconciled and fixed on some level. Yeah. But at the end of the week, I was really tired and I mean, I hadn't done anything. I mean, I still had, was doing sermon prep, which is uh, exhausting, but I think I was just tired from the emotions of uh, their trauma and its effect on me. Yeah, as you think back to the early days of your ministry, maybe fresh out of seminary and kind of maybe idealistic, a little bit naive about what was coming, do you remember the time when you feel like you first felt the weight of pastoral ministry and, and what, what happened? Can you share a little bit about that experience? Sure. I had been in my first full-time pastorate for about three months and I remember our the church I pastored, I want to be careful about the details here, but the church I pastored, their, their youth and children were on a, a trip. They were at a kid's camp. And I was in Walmart. It was a Friday afternoon. I finished sermon prep for the, the week, and I, or so I thought. I was, I'd made a stop to pick up something for my wife, and, and uh, I was walking through my phone. Of course, you know, we're available all the time with cell phones now. <laughs> and so the phone rang and it was my youth pastor and he was rather frantic and he was with them and he said we've had a situation arise and and uh, he began to recount the situation and it was uh, a, a case of what appeared to be sexual abuse and now I to that point probably never really thought about that how I was going to handle it well, I mean and so I'm just sort of stepping back saying whoa wait a minute tell me again <laughs> tell me tell me more slowly give me the details and so I remember going home after that conversation. We talked for a few minutes and sort of gave him some directions. Do this for now, and then we'll they'll be back Saturday. We'll we'll meet in my office on the Lord's Day after I'm, after service and and do this. But I remembered thinking then, this is we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Yeah. This is not your fictional church that you had in seminary where you could just you know your wisdom alone would fix everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and uh, that's just a fictional church. Uh, and I've actually written an article about that, and I think I mentioned it in, in maybe this book. But uh, that doesn't exist. I mean, there's no Disney World in the ministry. And I realized right then, this is there, there are a lot of moving parts to this, and I'm not up to this without God's grace, mm, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, taking a step back a little bit, um, it seems like every other week we hear stories of pastors, vocational pastors, leaving the ministry. Uh, maybe it was some kind of sin issue, maybe it was some kind of financial strain, maybe it was um, burnout from just trying to do too much too fast. And you're a pastor. Have you ever been close to throwing in the towel yourself? Yes. Um, my first full-time pastorate was so difficult. At a point, I, I mean, I, you know, as I recount in the book, I questioned my calling. I mean, I questioned my salvation at points. Uh, Satan really gets in and, and does a number on you. I mean, I was weak. I was tired. And I, I really began to wonder, am I, is this what I'm called to do? I, I, I don't, I'm not deriving any pleasure from this. I mean, min and ministry is pleasurable at times. It's not always, you know, the, the dark skies. We don't want to be Eeyore here, sort of the Eeyore syndrome. You know, there's always a cloud. Over. That's not true. Um, but in this case, this, this, this had gone on for really almost four years. 
And I just, I was tired. I wasn't convinced. I mean, seminary had been great and fantastic. And I had, I had uh, served another smaller church that had gone really well. But this, I mean, there's you know, much fewer people in that church. But this was just beyond my ability to, uh, to, to, to fix. And of course, it's not up to us to fix it. But I, I, I really wondered, and again, that's why I recount the chapter in the book, am I really called to do this? Have I, have I misheard the Lord somehow? I mean, we know God is sovereign. He never gets the wrong address, and he's always, you know, on, on time. But I just wondered, I, 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 don't, I don't know that I'm calling. And, and we were talking to my wife and some of my mentors and things like that. And, and, and um, I, was, I was offered, well, I wasn't offered, but I had an opportunity at a job that was very attractive to me. Uh, in my hometown, and, and uh, it was in my skill set. I could have, and I rationalized it by saying, "Look, it was a town in which we had helped plant a church about two, a decade ago." And I thought, "I can go there. I can be a lay elder. I can still probably write because I've been a writer my whole adult life, and I can do some of that and just and work this job. It paid really well, so maybe I'll just do that." And so I went home and told my wife, and you know, my wife said, "I don't think you need to. I think that may be the devil." <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember talking to one of my one of my mentors, actually Harry Reader, on the TGC Council, Briarwood uh, PCA Church in Birmingham, where I served, and and he said, "You know, that could very well. Your wife may be right about that. There may be a temptation to draw you away. I don't think, you know, I think you need to really give this some prayerful thought." But I mean, I, there were times laying in bed at night, I thought, I, I I think maybe I'll just quit. And this is after. Ten, almost a decade of seminary, I mean, two advanced, a terminal degree, and I mean, a dissertation, and serving, serving my churches all the while, and and uh, wondering what's the, all this investment about. And I even thought at one time, maybe this is just sort of my sanctification. Mm. Well, that's a pretty expensive sanctification. <laughs> around Speak for... to that a little bit, though, and maybe this is a this is a tricky topic. But mm-hmm. what roles do you think seminaries have played in either preparing pastors well for the ministry, but also perhaps uh, at times, setting them up for failure in terms of how they think about what the, what it is they're actually doing uh, in the ministry. Well, that's another Crossway book that Colin Hanson and I did, the 15 Things Seminary Teaching, which, by the way, began its life with 45 Things <laughs> Seminary. We, we didn't think that would sell, you know, a, a two-volume set. But uh, we were listing things that, that seminary couldn't prepare. I mean, I think if you go, let me answer it this way, if you go to seminary thinking that... This will make me a pastor. This will prepare me um, across the board 100%. When I leave here, I will be, I'll have everything I need to be a pastor. You're dead wrong. Because, and that's not what seminaries promise. I mean, I have, I was fortunate to go to one of the best seminaries in the world, in, in my opinion, in the opinion of lots of others, and, and had, I think, the best, one of the best theological educations money can buy, and some, some of the most godly professors. But still, that didn't make me a pastor. What made me a pastor was, you know, like being a, a soldier. You can go through basic training, and you can they can simulate war, uh, they can simulate you know the explosion of, of the grenades, uh, the, uh, the the air cover flying over, and the smell of war, and the blood and the guts. They can sort of simulate that sort of, but they can't really put you at war. You learn to be a soldier by being at war. And ministry is very much like that. Seminary gives you the tools. It's kind of like basic training. I think that's a good parallel. It, 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 it gives you skills that you will need for the rest of your life to, pre, to prepare to teach and preach to others and to yourself. And to even, I mean, my theology helped me come to grips with all these things. And ultimately, by God's grace, the theology, what I believe, pulled me out of that, that sort of uh, quagmire that I'd fallen into and convinced me, no, I am called to ministry. 
But seminary just simply can't prepare you uh, 100%. It doesn't make you a pastor. I mean, God makes you a pastor. And in the, in the foxhole of local church ministry, um, that's why churches, <laughs> I'm almost amused sometimes that when I talk to a church that said, we want 10 years of experience. You know, it'll be a small church. But now I understand they don't want a novice um, because there are complexities uh, in people's lives and to uh, preaching the gospel and loving and shepherding people that you just don't come sort of ready-made to do. And so it, I just don't think seminary can do that any more than, than, than basic training makes you a soldier. I think uh, I think ministry alone can do that. And so I think, I mean, I've always been called to be a pastor, but I think slowly I've become, I mean, I've always been a preacher. That's different. I've been preaching for 25 years. Preaching's the, it's the easiest part of it. It's a, I love to preach. You, can, you send me somewhere to preach. I mean, I'm ready for that right now. But but it's the shepherding part. Yeah. It's the people. You know, people, the old cliche, well, ministry would be great for, for the people. It would be easy if it weren't for people. And that's true, but... That's you're called to shepherd sinners, yeah, um, and saved sinners, and evangelized lost sinners, and uh, seminary just can't prepare you for that. But over time, I mean, I think now I, I'm very different than I was a decade ago when I started pastoring. Yeah, completely different. I even see things differently. My theology is the same. Uh, my theology of ministry is the same. But I understand the reality of ministry much better now. And I think I'm in a much better position uh, to make decisions. And that will increase. That will only grow over time. And if I'd quit um, five years, six years in, then I would never have seen the fruit of all those years of, of, of classroom work. But I, don't, but I don't want to discourage men from going to seminary. I think it's a, if you can possibly go find a biblically faithful seminary and go, by all means, um, God has given, dotted the landscape of our country with some wonderful seminaries, and, and I'm grateful for them, but it's not enough, for mm. sure. Do you think pastors are um, leaving the ministry early more than they used to? Sometimes it seems that way. It seems like we hear about pastors leaving early for, for some of these reasons we've discussed already, and it seems like it's happening more than ever before. Do you think that's actually the case, or do we just hear about it more now? I mean, th- there are surveys. There, there's there's statistical analysis has been done on it, and some uh, some rather trustworthy numbers I have read include will we'll say something along the lines of two thirds of pastors will be out of ministry in within never to return in five years. Wow! I remember I heard that in my preaching class at, at seminary, and uh, so I can't help but think that that has become. Uh, is more of a modern reality. When I say modern, maybe the last 25 years. Um, I have a friend who's been in ministry. He's been in ministry 60 years. And he told me, and he's, he's a grizzled veteran pastor. I have great respect for him. But he said, I would hate to start out today. He said, because the, the problems are so complex now. And he said, you guys face things that I never faced. And you face yourselves. I mean, you've been raised. We're softer. Let's face it. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty spoiled. And I think we come to ministry with exalted expectations and sometimes false expectations. And when those aren't met, um, you know, our culture sort of tells us find, find something that will make you feel better to, to alleviate the pain. What are some of those expectations that you think are common among uh, young pastors? 
Well, I think uh, we all have heroes, uh, ministry heroes, or dead heroes. Uh, men like John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, John Bunyan. These are some of mine. Lots of Johns. Lots of Johns. Lots, you know, absolutely. <laughs> I should have named his son John. Now that I think about it, Spurgeon. Um, and of course, now I mean, men like John Piper, and, uh, the late R.C. Sproul, who's one of my one of my great heroes, um, John MacArthur, many, many others. And so we look at them, I think, and we tend to think, you know, if I just if I go to a church and I preach the word week in and week out, and I love the people, and I'm faithful, then that's what'll happen to me. I will, I will be a person who writes books, and you know, it'll, it'll be, uh, I will ascend uh, to some place of notoriety eventually. But what they don't realize is that John Piper uh, has gone through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to become John Piper. God made John Piper. God made John MacArthur. I mean, I've read, uh, I remember it in one of his books about how there was a, a group in, uh, at Grace Community Church that uh, had uh, come together to oust him. I mean, this is John MacArthur. I mean, Jonathan Edwards was fired. So I think we expect that. I mean, I think there was a time in our country where clergymen were, were respected. I think there was a, a much more exalted place for pastors. But that, that time's long since passed. I mean, as we've become much more, I mean, we've always been a pluralistic cultural theoretically, but now we're much more pluralistic in practice, much more secular. So there's much less respect. And I think they expect to be respected, and you're not going to be. I mean, our, the Lord Jesus wasn't respected. And so I think when those expectations aren't met, they're, they're uneasy because we've been, I mean, we've been raised, let's face it, in a way that we're kind of soft. I mean, I include myself in that. My generation, generations behind me, we're, you know, the greatest generation or so the last generation that suffered in a way that we will, we can imagine. My father was a World War II veteran, a paratrooper, 101st Airborne. I can imagine, I mean, some of the things he went through. I can hardly, I mean, <laughs> when I jump out of that plane, perfectly good airplane, you know, <laughs> over the, uh, into Germany, um, I mean, I just, I think we expect it to be kind of like, you know, life for everybody else is. We expect to to be mollycoddled to some degree. We expect it to be easy. And it's anything but easy. I think I expected that. I, I mean, so I remember this man, uh, he was an elder I served with. He said, uh, been in ministry all these years. He said, what did you expect? And I remember I said, I don't know, but not this. <laughs> and so he was right. I think, you, okay, you get the degrees and you expect, it's almost like, uh, you know, I've done my part. Now, God, you owe me this. You do this. Because we have a, you know, we, we, we live in an entitlement age, right? An yeah. entitlement mentality. And I think we take that in the ministry. I think I did. Mm. And it, was, it didn't take long to disabuse me of that notion for ministry. Do you think the internet and social media has contributed to that dynamic of we see these heroes, we see these um, successful pastors, success often defined as the world defines it with numbers and notoriety and fame. And uh, do, do you think the online world in which we live is exacerbating that problem. I do. I do because there's just so much information, instant information. I mean, we're consumers in this country. We are inveterate consumers. And so, you know, we, we can toggle through our heroes. We can listen to Piper and we can listen to MacArthur and we can listen to uh, uh, whoever, J.D. Greer, whoever you're, or Mark Dever, Al Mohler. And, you know, we can, we can, if we like, we can just sort of swap those out and we find our favorite. And we can do the same with churches. And I think a lot of that is driven by the Internet because we have so much access uh, in Lloyd-Jones's time and certainly in Spurgeon and uh, J.C. Ryle, their time. This, this wasn't a reality. I mean, you were just happy to have a faithful man of God. I mean, I feel, <laughs> I laugh, I, I have a lot of seminary students in my congregation, and, and that's a blessing. 
But it's also, uh, it's also true that I know I'm competing against their favorite internet pastors or preachers, uh, and they're better than me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not John Piper. And, you know, as I've told the interns of my church, don't try to be John Piper. God has him already. He doesn't need him. For some reason, he wants to use you, and so you be yourself. Uh, um, and so uh, I think that has spread. As, as, I mean, the internet has done great things for theology. Uh, great things for big God theology in particular, what we what we believe and cherish. And I, I praise God for that. That's a wonderful thing. But there's, it's a two-edged sword. Mm. It's also created a set of expectations that I think are impossible to meet for most pastors. Yeah. Yeah, related to those expectations too, it seems like vocational pastors face the sem- same temptation that, that all of us face to some extent, and that is to root our identity in what we do, in our role, uh, and not who we are in Christ. And yeah, I've often wondered if vocational pastors face that temptation in a more acute way, perhaps, in a unique way that the rest of us don't quite understand because of two things. On the one hand, it seems like, as we talked about before, the line between personal life and work life is so blurry for pastors. There's really no separation most of the time. Uh, And on the other hand, as well, it seems like it can be easy to confuse doing good things, good spiritual things that, that the pastors doing all week long with actually communing with God personally on a day-to-day basis. They can neglect the, the latter while doing the former. Um, do you see that dynamic in conversations that you're having with pastors, this temptation to uh, misplace their identity in what they're doing as a pastor versus who they are in Christ? There, there's no doubt. I, I do. And again, I see it in my own heart. And I've, I've in talking to other friends, um, had a, a, a friend um, a longtime pastor friend who's gone through a terrible struggle lately, and he's out of the pastoral out of pastoral ministry after uh, two plus decades of, of consecutive ministry, and he's told me I really he's doing something else for the time being to kind of heal and get better. He's not he doesn't believe he's not he's left the ministry for good, but for now, and I think that's good and right in his case. But he's told me and now now my I, I'm I'm struggling with uh, I'm struggling with um, guilt. Because I think my identity is so bound up in being the pastor, being a pastor, preaching every week and counseling people and uh, all the things that go with, you know, all, all the other things that go with pastoral ministry. That, yeah, I've kind of lost myself in that uh, when the reality is I'm a Christian first. And I have to tell myself that every day. I was out of the ministry for about a year and a half bef- uh, between my current ministry and then the previous ministry at church. And it was very difficult. I, I felt lost in some ways. And, and that's not right. I, 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 I'm trying to always remind myself, find your identity in Christ. You're most fundamentally a Christian now and always when you're in the ministry and when you're not in, in full-time vocational ministry. And uh, it was a huge struggle. And, I mean, I battled depression and anxiety thinking. I just I felt like something was missing. But it really wasn't. Uh, I needed some time to heal. Um, and, and, and really the antidote for me was going back to Scripture. Uh, just bathing myself in the Psalms uh, and bathing myself in in, in uh, wisdom literature and all just throughout Scripture and prayer. And I feel like I grew more in that year and a half because I, I realized, I mean, what I would tell the Lord is, if you don't want me ever to pastor, I'm okay with that. Now, <laughs> was I really okay with that? I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I think I became okay with it. I wasn't at first. It's kind of a kind of a, a wrestling match between me and God there in, in my prayer life. But I, I I think I became okay with it because I wanted to locate my identity in Christ. And you know I'm not sure what this would have been about, but you know, you know, oh oh Lord, you know. And so 
Um, I have to leave that up to him, but I definitely think that's a temptation for, and I think the longer you've been in ministry, the, the more that's true. I mean, I can't imagine if I'd pastored the same church 20, 25 years or you know, 50 years as John MacArthur has at, at Grace Community Church, how, it, when it's gone all of a sudden, uh, how I'd feel mm. and how I'd feel about being just a regular Christian. I remember that year and a half I was put, uh, I, I went back to return to a church we'd attended years before in Louisville, and they gave me a Sunday school class, my old Sunday school class I'd had when I was there in seminary. And that just really bothered me. I did not like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I'm too good for that. It wasn't that so much as it was just like, I've been a pastor. Why am I doing this? You know, mm. it just felt like, but, but I mean, I knew that was, a, that was actually sinful too. There was an idolatry, I think, that was exposed in that. And I think you see this with athletes, uh, say Major League Baseball players play at least 40. And sometimes they will struggle with alcohol abuse and things like that after. They don't know what to do with themselves because their identity is totally bound. I've heard Christian athletes talk about how they had to really wean themselves from that and lean into the scriptures and lean into prayer and lean into the local church. And 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 uh, we, we have to do that. Mm. And I certainly have to do that as well. It's 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 hard. Um, yeah, not to find your identity because you, you, you've given so much of your life and so much of your energy, uh, your life, your soul, you're all to this, to, to follow this sacred calling. And when it's gone, it just, uh, it, it's hard to feel right, mm, for yeah. sure. So whenever a pastor's sin, some kind of habitual sin comes to light, like an affair or a pornography addiction or... Um, maybe some kind of financial impropriety or harsh or demeaning spirit, and a, and a pastor is forced to resign because of that sin, it seems like there's often a common denominator, uh, namely a lack of accountability for that pastor. And, and oftentimes it seems like either by virtue of his position or authority in the church, he intentionally or unintentionally has isolated himself from that accountability, uh, isolated himself from the the transparency that that he would need, that we all need when it comes to living a Christian life. Uh, so practically speaking, do you have any ideas or suggestions for pastors who who maybe would have to admit that they don't have that level of account- accountability in their lives uh, and, and want that? I think you have to find it. You have to find it. You have to find someone who has a set of eyeballs on your life tra- transparently. That's someone you trust who won't tell other people, but will, will speak into your life and speak the truth in love. Not a sycophant, not someone who's impressed with you. Uh, <laughs> for me, in addition to having numerous pastor friends, my wife, you know, my, my wife, Mary Well, I, I think I say that in my chapter that, you know, are you called? Ask your wife what she thinks about your calling. Mm. <laughs> and that's really true. That's a because scary question. It is. It is because I have known, uh, I once knew a man uh, in my hometown, his wife would never would never could never see him being called as a pastor, and he never he never did it because, and he I think he felt something missing. But I, th- I think she was right at the end of the day. I mean, as we surveyed his life, uh, but you have to find that. I mean, you you cannot just like Lone Ranger Christians. You hear you know this phenomenon of people saying, "Well, I don't need other people," you know, "I can I can be outside the body of Christ. And I'll be just fine." Well, no, the the, the devil knows that, and uh, he's smarter than you are. And he'll pick you off. I mean, it's like the old Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom show that I watched growing up. Mm. You know, you'd always see the, yeah. the classic shot. You've got the wildebeests. You've got the whole the herd comes through, and there's the one he's limping. And then they show the cut to the lions. They're laying on the hill, and they're kind of licking their chops. And, you know, you know what's about to happen. And it's, it's that way in the Christian life, and it's the same way in ministry. I mean, you have to stay 
in the Word of God. You have to stay deep in prayer, and you have to stay accountable to somebody. Uh, and and it, having a, another pastor is helpful. But I found my wife, she's very honest with me. And we've said and we've, uh, we've worked through some, some things. I travel quite a bit for, uh, for the Gospel Coalition and even my church and some other things I do. And so I'm gone quite a bit. And we, we, we try to have no, very little unaccounted for time for me, which sometimes means I call her at night and we talk for an hour about, you know, whatever's going on during the day. And she knows what I'm doing. I'm talking to her. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not letting myself just be sort of alone and, and vulnerable. So I think if you just build some practical things like that in your life, even if it's your because I know that there are a lot of brothers who are out in you know, rural areas, and I praise God for those guys that are faithful. If there's not a pastor within you know, 50 square miles, they would trust or know uh, to function this way. And so that, that that's difficult. But if you have seminary friends, I mean, surely, you know, you have some friends who, you know, will be able to, to talk to you and see those blind spots because we all have blind spots. And those blind spots can lead to, um, I think, catastrophic failure in ministry if they're not addressed and have, if they're not, um, I know I have um, my best friend, uh, male friend is a pastor down in Georgia. We've been friends 30 years, and uh, we uh, were friends before seminary. We went to seminary kind of together, uh, planted a church down there with him. He's been there a long time, very faithful. And he is. there have been times he's had to really, you know, kind of throw some high heat, to use a good baseball analogy, the chin music with me and say, you know, look, here, th- this seems to be true of you. Are you? What's going on here? You need to tell me. And mm. you better don't lie to me. <laughs> mm. I know you. You know, it's almost like mm. your mother. I know when you're lying to me. Yeah. But no, and, and that's been incredibly helpful. And it's probably saved me from, you know, who knows what. Uh, and, and my wife, I mean, having this kind of intimate relationship with her, where she can ask me anything, and she, you know, she's got her eyeballs on my life. On my, uh, uh, she's accountable for my, you know, where I go on the internet. I mean, that's a major, major thing. Mm. I mean, because I need to be the same man at three o'clock in the morning, alone in my study with the computer open, that I am in the pulpit. Uh, because if I'm not, I'm not going to be effective in ministry, and eventually I'll fall away. So speak to the pastor listening to us today who just feels beat down. He just feels exhausted, utterly exhausted, and uh, doesn't really know if he can keep going. What encouragement would you offer to that man? I would encourage him, first of all, to take some time off. Take time away. Take a sabbatical if your church will let you. Meet with your people and explain to them, here's how I'm feeling, but I love you and I want to stay. I want to be faithful to God and faithful to you, but I just can't... um, I just can't keep on right now. I'm really, I just need some time away. Because we all need, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a very good uh, model for this, uh, sadly. Um, I need to listen to my own preaching here, heed my own preaching here. Um, but we need rest. And I've found that rest cures a lot of anxieties and a lot of paranoia that builds up in me. And it just, just sort of frees my mind. It relaxes my mind. It relaxes my body. I mean, your body needs rest. I mean, just like it needs food. And so that's the first thing I would say. Just try to take some time away. Do something you enjoy. I think pastors ought to have hobbies. Now, you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't pursue. I mean, I love golf, but I don't live at the golf course. Get, I don't get to play. You could spend 40 hours a week there. I easily could spend 40 hours a week there. If I could get paid to do golf, it, it, we, I'd be very tempted to leave <laughs> ministry probably. But no, uh, do things like that that you enjoy. You're human. 
I mean, you're not, uh, you're not a robot. And so do things you enjoy. If it's sports, if it's gardening, if it's travel, whatever, do. Uh, I mean, just reading. I mean, we all read. I love to read. I'm a, I'm a book geek. But sometimes I have to come out of the, that forest and, and, and do something else. And my wife's good to remind me of that. You're having your nose in the books all day. Um, I mean, I, I, I think those are simple things. My doctor told me once, um, I, I, I'm pretty much perennially overworked. But it's because I grew up that way, and I just think that that's what I have to do. And my doctor, I'd reached a point where my health was starting to decline to some degree. I've always been blessed with good health, but just I didn't feel right. And, and, and he said, well, how much rest are you getting? I said, only very little. I'm working about 80 hours a week. And so there's your problem. He said, you need to take, if you, he said, you have elders, if they, and he was a, a Christian man, he said, if uh, he is my doctor now, and he says, if you uh, talk to them, I'll write a note if you need to, and you take, uh, I take every fourth Sunday off and another elder preaches, become bivocational, and he said, take that weekend and just don't do that stuff, take, like, say, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, take that long weekend, just enjoy yourself. And I've actually done that. That's helped me so much. Mm. Again, it's, it's sort of cleared my head. I mean, going to the golf course once in a while, that clears my head. It's not sinful and wrong. I mean, I, I know there's a whole thing out there that, you know, that uh, I, there's a, a notion that pastors ought not to enjoy themselves. That's not spiritual. That's just, that's not biblical. That's, 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 uh, uh, that is causing, I think, a lot of broken pastors, broken down pastors. I mean, suicide rate among pastors now, I think of what I understand is an all-time high. And I mean, I've, by God's grace, never been there, but I can see how, I mean, it's, you, 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 things don't go the way you think that they should. You're tired. And you know how it is when you're tired, you can think things and, 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 and paranoia can rise up in you and start to think things about yourself and about other, others. And, and you start to hear the voices that I'm a failure and this is, I'm, I'm, I've caused these problems and I'm just a failure. And I'm not called to this and I shouldn't be doing this. And it can lead you to places that are dark. I mean, I've been to those dark places and they're not good. By God's grace, I didn't stay long. Um, because I really learned how to relax and, and try to mm. uh, get some rest and do things I enjoy. That's really simple, but, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, all that complex. So last couple questions then. What's, uh, if a pastor is fortunate enough to be in a church where he does have elders, lay elders who, who can be there, who are qualified to be there and can support him and help uh, shoulder the, the burden of ministry, uh, what, what can they do? What, what would you say to lay elders who... Uh, want to support and encourage their vocational pastor or pastors in their work, recognizing that they, they are bearing a unique burden that uh, others aren't. Yeah, boy, when God, when God called for in the New Testament a plurality of leaders, it, it, it's an infinitely wise thing. And I'm in a situation now where I'm, I'm sort of the plurality of elders and I always have in, in my uh, years in ministry, uh, fortunately. But this board of elders, they understand that I just can't get burned out. If they let me, in fact, one of the elders this week, I've been, one of the things I do every Friday is send our, our newsletter out, and I write a sort of a little letter to the church, and he's, and uh, it's been late the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and he came to me and he said, why don't you let me start sending that out? I feel like I need to do that to help you. Take that off your plate. You don't need to be doing that. Mm. He said, you can write the letter if you want. You can write the email or whatever, or we can fabricate one that sounds like you, and we can <laughs> send it out. He said, but uh, but let me do that. That just seems like something that uh, that I, I we need to do. It. I really appreciate it. That was a small thing to him, but a huge to me, a big encouragement to me. Uh, I mean, give them time away, make them take time off, make them do things they enjoy, make them spend time with their family, make them go home at five o'clock 
had a church member in a place I served in Alabama a few years ago, and he would drive past the church and see my car there, and instead of griping or about not seeing my car there, he would call me on his cell phone and say, <laughs> why are you still there? As he drove by. He would. He'd say, why are you there? Go home and be with Lisa and the kids. Go now if you can. I love that. That that was now he wasn't an elder, but I mean the same principle works for elders. Just just tell him to go home. Tell him to, I mean, encourage him that uh, you know the whole the weight of the church doesn't depend on him. Because sometimes we start we we own that. I mean, I'll do as much work as you let me do. That's just the way God's. I mean, it's partly the way God's wired me up. But I think I've I mean I've I've fallen into an area of of excess there. But my elders are really good about. They see signs of um, about two years ago. Uh, through a time where I experienced anxiety and kind of panic attacks that I that I hadn't experienced for years. There had been a, a reality years ago because of some stress in, in ministry. And they just immediately ran to my side and said, look, um, we're going to preach the next two weeks. You take the, take the time off. You don't feel better. We'll figure something out. Uh, we just, we just can't, we can't let you get this way. Do that. that. That's simple. Or even if he doesn't take you up on offer it, let them know. You have support yeah. that we're here. We're qualified guys. I mean, and 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 I want those guys to develop anyway. I want them to have opportunities to preach. Yeah. We have a young elder who uh, we were trying to encourage to grow in his preaching, and he needs reps. And so I'm happy now to give him reps <laughs> when it's uh, when it's right. And so yeah. and and he loves that. And so I think just simple things like that. Mm. Give uh, to send him and his wife out on a send them away for the weekend. Pay for it. Let have the church pay for it. Things like that. Uh, that will go a long way toward keeping him fit and stable and upright yeah. in the ministry. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crossway Podcast, for sharing some of your hard-won wisdom related to pastoral ministry and, and what it looks like to faithfully endure. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. I pray that God will use it to help encourage at least some pastor out there. That was Jeff Robinson on the unique blessings and burdens of pastoral ministry. For more, be sure to check out the book he co-edited with Colin Hansen, Faithful Endurance, The Joy of Shepherding People for a Lifetime, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show, and we appreciate it. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.